Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, everyone. Welcome all of you to the 1450 Podcast. Glad you can join us today. I am your host, Craig Gardner, the music director here at Grace Bible Church. Uh, We are continuing with our special December series this week with our lesson, Christmas, The Silence Broken, from Pastor Greg Bing. We encourage you to head over to our website at www.gracebiblechurch-fw.com to find more info about us, along with many study materials for you to help you with your studies. Visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gracebiblechurchfw and also our podcast page at facebook.com slash 1450podcast to keep up to date on things of the church and newly released podcast episodes. You can watch videos of our services at youtube.com and search for Grace Bible Church Fort Worth. Subscribe to our channel to receive notifications of new videos released. We would like to thank SoundCloud for hosting this podcast at www.soundcloud.com slash gracebiblechurchfw. There you can find multiple playlists of series and links to all of our websites. Let's go ahead and get started with this week's lesson, Christmas, The Silence Broken. Throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we see that God spoke uh, through His prophets in a lot of different times and a lot of different ways. Sometimes He would speak audibly. Sometimes He would speak through visions, uh, dreams. Sometimes angels would speak. Sometimes there would be signs given to the prophets. This is especially true in uh, the times leading up to and during and after the captivities, uh, when the northern kingdom went into captivity to Assyria in 721 B.C., and then the southern kingdom, Judah, went into captivity in 606 B.C. There were lots of messages from God's prophets leading up to that and during that, and even after that. They went in because of idolatry and turning away from the Lord. The last of the prophets was a prophet named Malachi. Malachi wrote approximately 400 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was born. If you would turn with me to the book of Malachi for just a minute to begin this uh, this morning, and that's Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. These are the final words that were spoken by God to Israel in the Old Testament. The, uh, the, the prophecy that's given here is in two sections. Both sections begin with the word behold. Behold means to look and to see something. He's asking Israel to behold or to see something. The first four verses are a warning. A warning of a coming day of judgment from the Lord. Beginning in verse 1. For behold, the day is coming burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. You know, Israel needed to hear that message. There was judgment coming because of their turning away from the Lord, their their idolatry. And and so he tells them there's judgment coming. There's a day coming of judgment. He says, but to you, verse 2 says, but to you who fear my name, to those who have reverence for my name and trust in me, he says, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the, trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. And then he tells them in verse 4, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, along with the statutes and the judgments. Remember the word of God. Remember the law that's been given to you. 
The second section is the announcement. The announcement of not the coming of a day of judgment, but the announcement of the coming of someone to precede that. Look at verse 5. Behold, he says, look, see, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What is his purpose? He says, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. The idea is, is Israel needs to have hearts that are like the, the hearts of their fathers, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who faithfully served the Lord, who separated themselves from other peoples and were dedicated to the, to the worship of the Lord. He says this, this Elijah the prophet will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. You see, God doesn't desire, certainly, to bring judgment upon His people. He desired to save them. He desired to heal them. And so He announces, there's going to be one come. Elijah the prophet will come before to turn your hearts back to what they should be. Now, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 1. After the words of Malachi's prophecy, we see from God, silence. Silence for 400 years. No prophet speaks. No angel visits, no visions are given, no dreams come, no signs are given. There is no message from God. There is only silence for 400 years. 400 years waiting for a special event. Until the time of the events recorded in the New Testament. The time of the events recorded in the New Testament Scriptures. And suddenly we find God speaking again. Suddenly we find this, this silence is broken and broken very significantly for because we see the announcement in a miraculous way. The announcement of the most important event in history, the coming of God's Son into this world. And, and it's important but for two reasons. Number one, because of who He is. The Son of God is very God Himself. God is a triune being, yes. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three are very God. And God the Son is exactly that. He is the eternal Word of God. But the eternal Word of God was made flesh. He became flesh and dwelt among men. John says, We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This one who was there was God in flesh. And that's how God spoke. God spoke in His Son. In time past, He spoke through the prophets. In the days that we read of in the Gospel accounts, we see that He spoke in or by His Son. The second reason it's important is because of what He came to do. Why did He come into this world? Why did God enter into this world? Why would He take a body of flesh like ours in every way except without sin? Why would He do that? He came to provide the way. He came to provide the way of redemption. The way in which the sins of men, the sins of the whole world could be paid for, could be dealt with, could be condemned and judged on that cross. And the way by which the world, a sinful world, could be reconciled to God, brought into a relationship with the God who created them, the God who loved them, the God who had a purpose for their lives and desired to have fellowship. But God didn't just speak once. God didn't just speak once. He spoke numerous times. And He didn't just speak to one person. He spoke to different people and in different ways. Primarily, we see Him speaking through His angels. The word angel means a messenger. So one sent with a message from God and speaking also through His Spirit, through the Holy Spirit of God and prophesying. And it all began, appropriately enough, in the temple in Jerusalem, where one of the priests was there uh, doing the service of God, 
This was God's dwelling place in the midst of his temple, in the midst of his people, and, and there God spoke after 400 years of silence to a man named Zacharias. If you would turn with me to Luke chapter 1, and we'll read a little bit of this. Zacharias was a priest. Uh, he was uh, there in the temple. Uh, it was his turn to offer incense uh, in the temple, to burn incense. He was the, uh, he was, uh, his wife was the daughter of Aaron. His wife's name was Elizabeth. Look at verse 6. It says about them, it says, they were both righteous before God. That was unusual back then. There were, the majority of the people of Israel, including their rulers, were, you wouldn't have said that about them. But these two were, were kind of special. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. That doesn't say they were sinless because they weren't. It just meant if you looked at their life, you couldn't find too much to, to find judgment. And notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say they walked according to the traditions of the elders. It says they walked according to the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. So he's there in the temple uh, and, he's, and he's worshiping. And they've been praying. They've been praying and asking God because they have no child. She's barren. They have no child. And so he's there praying. He's there worshiping the Lord. And then, and everyone else is outside. The multitude of the people are outside waiting for him to come out. Look at verse 11. Then we read this. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Now you could understand that. How many other times when he'd gone in to offer incense had an angel of the Lord appeared to him? It never happened. When's the last time he heard about an angel of the Lord appearing to anybody? It's been hundreds of years. God hasn't even spoken to a prophet. And yet here he appears, this angel appears to Zacharias, and he was troubled by him, and he was afraid. Verse 13, the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will, also, he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Still in the womb, he will be filled with the Spirit. Notice verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now you could say, but this isn't Elijah. This is who? This is John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist. But notice what it says when he comes. He'll come in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. He'll come to do exactly what that prophecy in Malachi chapter 4 said, to turn the hearts to turn the hearts of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, just as their father's hearts were turned to the Lord. Notice verse 17, he will go before him. Before who? He will go before the Lord. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the announcement of this birth of John is not just an announcement of his birth, but the announcement of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, because John will come before the Lord. He will prepare a people for the Lord. And so we see the announcement of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ right here. Now, Zacharias, look at verse 18. Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? He's pretty much like the Jews of that day and Jews throughout their history. What does he want? Proof. Give me what proof. 
Give me a sign. How, I, how will I know this? How do I know this is going to be true? Now, he's just gotten a message from an angel from God. You would think that would be a pretty good sign right there, but he wants proof of that. He wants a sign, and that's the way Israel has always been. Uh, they wanting a sign in order to believe, and so uh, the angel answers. And, and the reason he asks is, he says, he says, because I'm an old man. He says, I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. She's barren. We have no child. How will I know this? How will I know this? Now, someone else had heard a message like this from God many, many years ago. Abraham heard pretty much the same type of message, did he not? You're going to have a child. You and Sarah are going to have a child. Abraham, we see a little bit more faith there than we see in John here. Uh, excuse me, in Zacharias here. Uh, so he, he believed, but uh, he wanted a son, and so he gets one. Verse 19, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. The word Gabriel, the name of the angel Gabriel means man of God. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. He says, he stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. This is good news. This is good news for you. Not just good news for you and for your family and Elizabeth in particular, but this is good news for the world. This is good news for the world. So he says, this is one who is sent from the very presence of God to bring this good news. But behold, he says, look, he says, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. So he gets a son. He's not able to speak. From this day until the day that his son is born, he is not able to speak. The people are waiting outside for him, and he comes outside. He lingered longer in the temple than he usually did because he was not just doing the incense, but now receiving a message from God. Verse 22 says, When he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, and for he beckoned to them, and he remained speechless. Well, verse 23 tells us that uh, after his service in the, t the uh, temple was completed, he went back home, went to his house, went to his family, and Elizabeth conceived, conceived, and she was uh, uh, hid herself for five months. And so uh, she's there because in verse 25 she says, Thus the Lord has dealt with me, she says, in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among my people. So an angel from God comes, Gabriel, and appears to Zacharias and announces the birth of John, but also in another way announces the birth of someone greater, the birth of the Lord Himself. The angel Gabriel also appears to someone else very soon after this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent by God. Look at verse 26. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Je Joseph, who was of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and she considered what manner of greeting this was. That's kind of the person Mary was. Mary, was a, she was a deep thinker. She liked to think about things. She pondered things in her heart. When things happened, when she heard things, she thought about them. She's, she's pondering this, and she's troubled a little bit at what he said to her. He says, Rejoice, highly favored one. And I'm sure she's probably thinking in her heart, Why me? You know, she's just a young girl. She's a virgin. She, she's, you know, not anybody special in Israel. And she's wondering, why am I highly favored? And she says, highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And, and, you know, this is an amazing thing for her to see an angel, but also to hear what the angel says to her. And so she's troubled as well. And, and the angel says in verse 30, said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
You know, when we look at the scriptures, uh, you have to be re- really be careful and understand the nature of uh, of Mary and who she was. Uh, there, there are people today who actually almost worship Mary and pray to Mary and think that she's on an equal par with God. And that's not true at all, uh, because the words that are used here of her, highly favored one, uh, the root word of that is grace. She received grace. Now, grace is what? Grace is a gift we don't deserve. And she understood that, and she knew that. And this favor from God was because of His grace toward her. And so uh, she's wondering about this, and she says, You found favor with God. Verse 31, and she, tell, and she is told by the angel, Behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. The word Jesus means literally Jehovah saves, or Jehovah is salvation. You're going to call this child, this son of yours, Jesus. Now notice the words. This is a special child. This is a special child. Verse 32, he will be great. Now, when when your children are born, we all think they're great, don't we? You know, we have the... Great, a son is born. Great, a daughter is born. We, we love that when we think that. But this is a special meaning to this expression. He will be great. What does that mean? He will be called the son of the highest. The highest speaks of the highest one, God. This is the son of God, the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will be a king. Now, she must have been amazed by this too because, she, you know, she doesn't see herself probably as a king. She's in, you know, a poor family, uh, being married to a man who's in a poor situation. Uh, she isn't, you know, raised in a in a you know house of a king. In fact, see, Israel hasn't had a king for six hundred years. They haven't had a king. There's been no king. So now she's told that this child will be given. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David in verse thirty-three, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. Not just. Our normal reign. He will reign forever. And of his, his kingdom, there will be no end. There will be no end. Mary is stuck by this. She said to the angel, she asked the question that you would imagine she would ask. She says, how can this be since I do not know a man? She's, she's, in, she's betrothed to Joseph. She's engaged to Joseph to be married. She's never known a man sexually. She's a virgin. You know, the Old Testament scriptures there are people who say, well, the virgin that's talked about in the Old Testament Scriptures can mean just a young maiden. Isaiah seven fourteen, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Uh, that word certainly can be translated just a maiden. The Greek word that's used here that describes her as a virgin doesn't, can't be translated just a young maiden. This is a woman who is a virgin. That's who this announcement comes. And she says, how can this be? How is this possible? I, she says, I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest, the Son of the highest, is the power of the highest, will overshadow you, will envelop you. He says, therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. It's not the Son of Joseph. Joseph, not his father. He would act as his father. He would raise him as his own son. But he was not the son of Joseph. He is the son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. That's why, and it was very important because that's why he could be called that Holy One. That Holy One. Because you see, the Lord Jesus Christ could not be born of a man. The seed of a woman. Had to be the seed of a woman. Otherwise, if it's been the seed of a man, then the seed of Adam's sinful blood would have run in his veins. And that's simply not possible because what he came to do was he came to give his life and to shed his blood as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. That would not be possible if he himself 
had any taint of sin at all in him. And he did not. This is why the virgin birth was so important. And he tells her further, verse 36, And now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. She was called barren, but obviously she wasn't. She wasn't because God, God overruled and God gave the power. So he says, The birth of your son and the birth of her son were both miraculous. Because verse 37 says, For with God, nothing will be impossible. It might be thought impossible by men. You know, Zacharias might have wondered about this and said, You know, how do I know this? I'm old. My wife is old. How do I know this? Mary says, How can this be? I've never known a man. How is this possible? With God, nothing will be impossible. Look at verse 38. Notice, notice Mary's respo- response to this. You see her humility. And you see her submission to the word that she's heard from God, to the will that's been presented, that is God's will. She said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. She didn't consider herself deity in any way, or even on any par at all with deity. She was not someone to pray to. She was the maidservant of the Lord. She says, Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What an amazing thing. After 400 years of silence from God, we see the miraculous appearance of this one angel, Gabriel, this man of God, sent from the very presence of God in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies and promises concerning the birth of John. It's found in the book of Isaiah and the book of Malachi. And concerning the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7 and chapter 9. In fulfillment of these things, the coming of Elijah, the forerunner to prepare the way of the Lord, and the coming of the Lord Himself... Angels there to announce the birth of these two men. Angels now. Both comings by birth. The coming of John and the coming of the Lord Jesus by birth. And both births, or at least both conceptions, both conceptions miraculous. Something that only God could do. One a woman advanced in years. One a woman betrothed but yet still a virgin. Both made possible by the power of God and by God's intervention. God stepped in. He hasn't stepped in for 400 years in Israel's affairs and the affairs of the world. But now He steps in because the time has come to announce. You know, why miracles? Why wonders? Why signs? We might ask that question. But consider this. Both men, John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ, were sent to minister to what group of people? To Israel. Both of their ministries will be directed to the children of Israel. In that case, you have to understand that Israel, said by God, not just by preachers, but by God. This is, these are a stiff-necked people. These are a stubborn people. These are a people that are described by Stephen as uncircumcised in heart and ears. They just refuse to listen to the Word of God. They refuse to turn their hearts to the Lord, and that's what's needed. That's what's needed. So a people who always requested and required a sign, we still see signs evident in God's dealings with them. We'll see signs evident in the ministries of both John and Jesus in dealing with them. But the silence is now broken. Look at chapter uh, 1 again. Look, Go down with me to verse 67. After the birth of John, Zacharias received uh, his voice back. They had asked him, he says, what are you, what are you going to call the child? Well, Elizabeth said his name is John. That didn't make any sense to them because nobody in their family was named John. You always named the child, especially a first child, after somebody in the family, probably the father. And so she said, John, they asked him, when they, and he, you know, what are we going to call him? And he, and he basically told them he, uh, his name is John. And then he got his voice back, and, and 
Notice what it says in verse uh, 67. His father Zacharias was then filled with the Holy Spirit. We've seen the words of angels. Angels with a message from God. Now we see the Holy Spirit of God speaking through men. In this case, Zacharias. And he prophesied, saying this, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited. God has visited and God has redeemed His people. And He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. Just as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets who have been since the world began. We see the announcement that God has visited His people. Uh, Jesus spoke later on about the fact that Israel didn't understand. They didn't know the time of His visitation. They didn't know that God had actually visited them, was there in their midst. And He came for this purpose, to redeem His people Israel, to raise up a horn of salvation for Israel. This is the birth of God's Son, just as the Old Testament prophets spoke since the world began. Since the world began. Now, salvation, you have to be careful in looking at that. What, what did they think of when they heard that word salvation? Now, most of the Jews of those days thought of salvation from their enemies. That word salvation can carry the idea of deliverance. Deliverance from your enemies. Being saved from your enemies. And if you read verses 71 to 75, you see, you, you see that idea is certainly present. And the Lord Jesus Christ is Israel's Savior and Deliverer. He will one day save them from their enemies. But there's more to His coming than just that. And we go down to verse 76. Zacharias continues his prophecy as led and filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. That's John. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways. But notice, to give knowledge of salvation to His people. How? By the remission of their sins. This is not just salvation from their enemies. This is not just deliverance from the Romans and the restoration of their land, and the restoration of their kingdom. It's salvation from their sins, forgiveness for their sins. He says, you will preach that message and give knowledge through the tender mercy of our God. See, God was merciful to His people. He, he didn't give them what they deserved. They deserved judgment. The, the act of sending God's Son into the world is His mercy toward His people and His mercy toward us. His mercy toward us as well. He says, uh, the, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Not just a darkened world they were living in, not just the shadow of physical death from their enemies, but the darkness of spiritual darkness. The darkness that was, uh, you know, the shadow of death that was there because of our sins. The spiritual death that we were under because of our sins. He says, the last part, he says, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And again, not just peace on earth, not peace between nations, not just peace for Israel and their land. That's certainly all promised to them and it will be one day experienced by them. But the Lord Jesus Christ came that first time to deal with the issue of our peace with God, of Israel's peace with God, to have a relationship with God, to be brought to Him, the way of peace. Not a way of peace, the way of peace, because there is no other. And that is through the Lord Jesus. And so we see this prophecy given through Him. Look with me in Luke chapter 2. We don't have time, but uh, if you read in Matthew chapter 1, an angel appears again to Joseph. Joseph is betrothed to Mary. They're engaged to be married. And when she turns up to be pregnant, he is of a mind, uh, he's a just man, and he, but he's of a mind to put her away uh, privately, secretly. 
Some believe that he was have her put to death. Others believe simply put her away and, and not be engaged to her anymore. Not sure which is the truth in that, uh, but he was going to put her away privately, not make a public example of her and so forth. And while he's thinking about that and thinking about these things, the angel appears to him and says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. He says, that child that's conceived in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from the sins. It also says he'll be called Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. You see why God's broken the silence? Because this is, an ama- this is a tr- significant event, a tremendous event that God is going to be with us living here in our midst upon this earth. And so the angel does that and he takes Mary to, his, to be his wife and uh, they go. Look at uh, Luke chapter 2. Familiar words that we often hear here at Christmas. If you watch the, the Charlie Brown Christmas, you hear these words in that. I always like that uh, presentation of the Christmas story. It says, It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered for taxing. He says, And this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, Bethlehem's not a major city. It's a little town. But it is the town of David, where David was, was raised. And so he's of the lineage of David, so that's where he goes. And so he went there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Time came for the delivery of this child. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, feeding trough for animals, because there was no room for them in the inn. The God of glory was born in a stable, was laid in a manger. Someone has said, where else would the Lamb of God come? Where else would the Lamb of God be born and come into the world except in those situations? And then the angels come again. Verse 8 says, there were, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. God speaking again. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a king, Yes, he was a king, no question about that. But the announcement is a Savior. Who is he? A Savior who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. This is how you'll know. You Jewish shepherds need this sign too. He says, you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Very unusual situation, but that's what you'll look for. He says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. The shepherds went, they visited the child, they spread abroad the news concerning everything they had seen and heard, and the birth of this child, and Mary, it says, kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. When Jesus is you know, old enough to go and be presented at the temple, just a few days old, they take him to Jerusalem, present him at the temple, as according to the law, because he lived under the dispensation of law. And there in the temple they meet a man named Simeon. Look with me at verse 25. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, and he was waiting for something. He was waiting for the consolation, uh, the consoling, the, the encouragement of Israel. And it says, And the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
Just as the Holy Spirit came upon Zacharias and he prophesied, the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. And in fact, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, Christ anointed. He would see the Messiah. And so he came by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, took this baby up in his arms, and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. When he looked at this child, he knew this is the consolation of Israel. This is the salvation of Israel. My eyes have now seen your salvation, and I can now depart in peace. He says, this is what you have prepared before the face of all peoples. This is a light. He is a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, and he is that which is the glory of your people Israel. Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Simeon blessed them, and then he spoke to Mary, just her. These words are specially to her. Mary is mother, and she, and, and she is told this, Behold, look, see, notice this. This child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Now that's a very veiled way of saying it, but this child came for something that's going to divide the nation of Israel. There will be some who will fall because of this. There will be some that will rise because of this, because they're going to be divided over this very issue of this child and who he is, who he is. He says this, this is what he prophesied to her about it. He says, and, and not only that, but something is going to happen. Look at verse 20, 35. He says, yes, and a sword, he says, will pierce through your own soul also. Not her heart, not, her, not, not a physical sword, but he says, there's going to be something that's going to pierce your very soul. And I think that, that's a picture of the crucifixion. I think this is the death of her son because she was there to see it. When the Lord Jesus Christ offered Himself on that cross of Calvary and died there and suffered for our sins, she was there at the foot of the cross. And, and I know that as His mother, she must have felt the pain, the anguish of that, of seeing any child suffer and die like He did, but to see this special child that she had been engraced by God to be the mother of, that she had been blessed, and to know so many wonderful things about this child and how special he was and what she'd heard about him. But to see this child suffer in this way and suffer the shame and the agony of the cross uh, must have pierced her soul. So we see, again, in a very veiled way, we, we, we can go back and look at it and know, here's, here's a picture, here's a prophecy that says this child is coming to this world to suffer and to die and to provide redemption and salvation for Israel. And so we see that made known. Um, as I think about this, this was after 400 years of silence, God spoke again to announce the coming of this wonderful person, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As you celebrate Christmas with your family this year, always keep that in mind, that Jesus Christ came into this world, but He came for that purpose of dying, of dying for you, of suffering for you on that cross and taking the penalty that you should have borne yourself, that penalty that was yours to bear, he took it for you because He loved you. He took it for you because He's a merciful God and a gracious God and a loving God. What a wonderful thing. You know, we're living in this present dispensation of grace. It's also a period of silence, is it not? We're living in a period of silence right now. We've had 2,000 years. Since the time of, of, the, of the book of Acts, we've had about 2,000 years of silence. We've had no angelic visits from God during this time. Uh, people are not receiving dreams and visions or prophecies from God. 
Some claim to have it, but I don't believe anybody's ever received any message from God. We don't need it today, do we? But we don't need it because we have a completed revelation from God in His Word. When you pick up the Scriptures and read, you're reading a complete and full revelation of what God needed to tell us, including God's directions for us today. As a part of the church, the body of Christ, we find those in Paul's writings. It was given to complete or fill up the Word of God. We don't find any signs today or sign gifts. There are those who claim that those things are still going on. But, uh, as you know, we, we saw them in the Old Testament. Yes, some. We saw them in the Gospels and the life of Christ. We saw them in the book of Acts. Because during those times, God's still dealing with His people Israel. They needed a sign, required a sign in order to believe. But we're not living in that age today. God's not dealing with Israel today as a nation. He's dealing with everybody. Jew and Gentile alike, no difference. And there are no need for signs. Uh, God doesn't even see a difference today between Jew and Gentile in His church, the body of Christ. Some contend, you know, this silence is just a proof that God doesn't exist. People say, God doesn't exist. We don't don't see Him doing anything. We don't see Him intervening. We read about things happening in the Old Testament. How do we know that's true? That's that's from the Bible. We don't know if that's the Word of God or not. That's what people argue. They say, we don't know if God exists. They reason that that surely God, if, if God, you know, truly existed, He would intervene. He would do something about a world filled with problems, a world filled with war and famine. Uh, and, and pestilence uh, filled with natural disasters, a men, uh, with, with men with cruelty toward each other, rape, child abuse, uh, terrorism. God would do something with all of that. And they fail to understand the Scriptures. Is God going to intervene one day? God will step in one day, will He not? We saw a prophecy of it in Malachi chapter 4. God will come. That day of vengeance and judgment will come. He will intervene and he'll, He will judge the world of the ungodly And when He does, there'll be no more chance for salvation. There'll be no more chance for salvation. You see, God has been silent for these 2,000 years because God is a long-suffering God. God is not willing that any should perish, but that what? That all should come to repentance. God desires all men to be saved and to come to a full knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And so we should be glad that there's still a silence from God. And, and, and that we have a full revelation from God in His Word. Everything we need to know in order to be saved, we find in God's Word. The gospel of salvation, the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is there. It's there for us. And, and we still have opportunities. God broke His silence 400 years ago to send His Son in order that we might be saved because He provided salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I'll just ask you this question this morning. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? If you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, believe that He died on Calvary for your sins and rose again. God is long-suffering. And right now, you still have an opportunity. But you don't know how long that opportunity is going to last. We don't know. There are no signs that have to take place before the Lord Jesus Christ comes for His church and takes us home to be with Him in glory. There are no signs to indicate that. So we don't know. The scriptures say this very thing. We don't know what another day will bring forth. That's why when Paul wrote the Corinthians, he said this, Behold... Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now. Don't put off the most important decision you will ever make in your life. Because if you do, you may not get a chance to make it. You may not get a chance to make it. I urge you to consider carefully just the Scriptures we've looked at this morning. The finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of God's grace. His offer to you of eternal life and receive that gift today. You receive it not by your works, not by your goodness, 
Not by religion or law. None of those things will do it. You receive it by faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. By simple faith. Believing Christ, God's Son, came into this world, died on Calvary for your sins, rose again, and believing that trusting in Him and Him alone will save you and give you eternal life and bring you to a relationship with God if you've never trusted Him. Now, today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You. Thank You so much for the gift of Your Son. Thank You so much as we think about uh, this time of year, Christmas, and celebrating the birth of our Savior. But help us, Father, not only to rejoice in His birth, but to rejoice in His perfect sinless life, in His sacrificial death on Calvary for our sins, and His powerful resurrection, and His offer and His gift to us of life when we trust in Him. I pray for each and every person who's here today, and each person, uh, their family members, their friends. If there is a single person, Father, who's never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, bring upon them the burden that they need salvation now, that they are lost apart from Christ, that they are separated from you for all eternity until they trust in Christ as Savior. Help them to see that and trust Him even this morning. And help us, Father, each one of us as believers to recognize the importance of taking this wonderful gospel message that we've been entrusted with and sharing it with others. Giving this message out so that others, people we work with, people we go to school with, people who are neighbors, people that are in our family, uh, people that we, we meet wherever we have opportunity, may we share this wonderful good news of peace, peace in their hearts that can come to them by trusting Christ as Savior. May we rejoice in this holiday season and all that you have done for us and all that you have made us. And our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. We thank you for joining us this week, and we hope you come back next week on Christmas Day for our final lesson in the December series with Unto You Is Born, a Savior. Please help us here by liking and sharing these podcast episodes on your social media pages and subscribe to keep notified of newly episodes released. Have a great week and Merry Christmas.